Acts chapter 6, living a life that outlives you. So Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders, and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy, this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. So Lord, we thank you again, even as Sophia was praying. Give us ears to hear. We thank you for your word, living, powerful, able to divide, Lord, our thoughts and intents. You, Lord, who know us, want to search our hearts, and we want you to do that this, this morning. We might have ears to hear, Lord, and as you said, it's not just in hearing, but it's in doing what you said, that we build our lives on a foundation that cannot be shaken. So, Lord, we're asking by your Spirit to take the things that I prepared, break them fresh for us this morning, feed us, Lord, we're hungry. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So, Lord, we're all ears, we're all attentive. I know, Lord, and believe that you want to speak to us all the time. So this morning, we're trusting that you will. We ask, Lord, as we have come into this building, so we will leave having heard from you. We also, Lord, want to make, uh, take, just take a moment and pray for anyone here who's come into this building who doesn't know you. I'm praying and we're asking, Lord, that through the word this morning, they would leave this building having met you as Savior and Lord right in our midst here. So bless, I pray, our time now in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So Acts chapter 6 is the shortest book in the book of Acts, but not to worry. We'll make up for it next week with the longest chapter, and that is chapter 7, 60 verses. So I trust that you'll read chapter 7 this week. I would also encourage you to read Hebrews 11 alongside of it. Next week, we'll be looking at chapter 7. So if you, if you can do that, I think it would be very helpful in coming next week to hear what the Lord has to tell us. So I want to begin this morning. I have a book here called The Power of a Whisper, Hearing God, Having the Guts to Respond. It's written by Bill Hybels, and some of you know that name. Maybe most of you do. And as I shared uh, last week, I believe that I can learn from anyone. And I believe that that's 
an important thing to understand. I believe that as I walk humbly with God by knowing his and obeying his word, that my strength in God is strengthened, that my character forged in righteousness, godliness, and true holiness happens as I know I can learn in any situation and from anyone. That I am better, I'm a better person for it. I'm a wiser person for it. I will have greater understanding. I'll have greater compassion, and I'll be more loving. I do not agree with some of the things that Bill Hybels and Willow Creek Community Church believe and practice. However, this brother and fellow pastor has helped me tremendously in my quest for a deeper love for God and people. So in my journey, as I journey on this earthly pilgrimage, as a Christian man, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, I don't know him personally, but as friends also, I'm thankful. I do not believe that my picking this book off my shelf this week was an accident. So let me begin. I, I want to read a little bit from the introduction to this book and just a couple other things that have inspired the very uh, title of our Acts chapter 6 and 7 study. So this is what he writes his introduction, a 50-year whisper-fueled odyssey. I have chosen to wait 35 years before writing this book about how God whispers have affected my life. Hesitant in part because of the controversy this subject tends to arouse. Still, I've come to believe that hearing the quiet whisper of the transcendent God, and our whole series in the first eight chapters is hearing and responding. So he said, I believe that hearing the quiet whisper of the transcendent God is one of the most extraordinary privileges in all of life, and potentially the most transforming dynamic in the Christian faith. When people hear from heaven, they are scarcely the same again. So why go to the trouble of penning the words in, this, in the chapter, chapters that follow? Because I, am fir- I firmly believe that God whispers to you. And then he talks a little bit about his early years as a young boy and a young man. And he says, at one point in his, in his early years with God, an older Christian man approached me and offered to buy me dinner. As a teenage boy, I regarded this offer of a free meal as a no-brainer. Can I hear an amen? <laughs> Five bites into my burger, the man said, quote, So, Bill, all the signs seem to be pointing to you heading into your family's business. And Bill Heibel's father was an extremely successful businessman. So he was going to follow his dad. And while that's a fine choice to make, I have a question for you. What are you going to do with your life that will last forever? I'm just curious. What will, what, I'm just curious what you'll do that will outlive you and all those earthly accomplishments. What are you going to do to serve people because people are the only commodity that makes it to the next life? Later on that night, he writes, alone in my bed, it was, it was as if God walked right into my room and repeated the older man's words. What are you going to do with your one and only life? I sensed him whisper. What difference will you make for eternity? Faster cars, more cash, and toys, none of those will make it beyond your grave. He remembered the, dinner's comp- the dinner companion's closing words. Bill, I'm going to issue you a challenge, he said just before we left. Why not put your whole life in God's hands? Why not trust him fully? I challenge you to give him full clearance to lead your life, every area of your life, until the point that he proves himself to be untrustworthy. At that moment, you can bail. But until then, give God total control. Live your life wide open to God. See where, he, where his way takes you. 
I have a feeling you'll never regret it, unquote. Isn't that fantastic? And that question just rung in me, and it was perfect because I had been already preparing Acts 6 and 7. And as you look at Acts 6 and 7, the question is, what will you do with your life that will outlive you and all the earthly accomplishments? What will you do? So we're going to spend this week and next on this question. Acts 6 and 7 are all about a disciple by the name of Stephen. His life was cut short, as we'll see in Acts chapter 7. But we can confidently say his life outlived him to the present day. We're learning from his life in these two chapters. So I'm going to approach these next two chapters in Acts by asking you and myself a few further questions. I want to help us think through this man's question to a very young Bill Hybels. What will you do with your life that will outlive you? What are you going to do to serve people because people are the only commodity that makes it to the next life? What are you going to do with your one and only life? What difference will you make for eternity? Why not put your whole life in God's hands? Why not trust him fully? Why not, why not give him full clearance to lead your life in every area of your life? Why not live your life wide open to God and see where his way takes you? I am persuaded that you and I will never, ever regret it. And brothers and sisters, that's discipleship. That's taking up our cross and following him. So for the next week, please read Acts 7 and these questions that I just, I'm gonna, I've asked Garrett to put them on our website with this week's sermon so you can see them there. And I'm going to encourage you to go there, read them again as you read Acts. And I would encourage you 6 and 7, read Hebrews 11 in preparing for next week's as we're going to talk about faith. So I'll also include them in my weekly email that I'm sending out. If you're not getting that, it's just an encouragement for each of us to re-up this week to spend time in God's word and prayer. And I hope that that's helping you. It's helped me tremendously that we just stand at the end during the last song and say, okay, Lord, this week and just this week, and we need the reminder every week, but just this week, I'm going to make time. Not, I'm not going to try to find time. I'm going to make time to spend in prayer and the word in your presence all by myself. So today, Acts 6, my further questions will focus on the factors involved if your life will indeed outlive you. Next week, Acts chapter 7, my further questions will focus on the faith that's exampled in those whose lives outlive them. That's why Hebrews 11 also, the hall of faith. Acts 6, the factors if your life will outlive you. Acts 7, the faith of those whose lives did outlive them. So Acts 6 are the factors. There are three that I'm going to give you, but there's three, yay, four. And fourth we'll get next week. First of all, there's a salvation factor. If our lives are going to outlive us. Secondly, there is the unseen factor. If our lives are going to outlive us. And third, there's the spirit factor. If our lives are going to outlive us. And the fourth one is the faith factor that we'll get next week. So look at verse 1. It says, in those days, the number of the disciples was multiplying. Look at verse 2. The 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples. Look at verse 7. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Factor 1 is the salvation factor. Are you numbered with the disciples? This is to you who don't know Christ today. You've never met him. You've never given your life to him. That is the first essential factor if your, life is going to out, if your life is going to outlive you. Have you personally been obedient to the faith? 
Have you responded in repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ? Now, many of us here are born again already. So are you praying then for those that you know that their lives, if, if their lives are going to count at all, they need to know Christ. I'm praying for two of my sons. Who are you praying for this morning? Have you received the testimony of the gospel of the grace of God? In other words, are you a born-again, bonafide, real-deal Christian? Do you know and love Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world? Do you know him personally as your Savior and your Lord? Now, if not, we are, I am thrilled that you're here. Why? Because that means I get to give you an opportunity to respond to God's love today after our service. That thrills me. I might get to be part of the most important decision you will ever make in your life. The most important, capitals all the way across. It's the most important because it's the decision between life and death, between knowing God or not knowing him, between heaven and hell. So I hope, if, you, if not today, that you will come back again and hear the word of God into your life. He wants to speak to you. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you that's beyond this life completely. I promise you that every time you come, you will hear God's word and you will hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I promise that every time you come, we will give you another opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Another opportunity to be forgiven of all your sin. To know that when you die, you'll go to heaven. And there in heaven, you'll be with Billy Graham. <laughs> you will be with Abraham Moses, and you will be with me too. The only thing about that is I hope that doesn't delay your decision. <laughs> now, one thing I cannot promise you, and that is that you have another day of life on earth. I can't promise that you, to you, and you don't know, as, as I do not know for myself, if this might be the day of your death today. That's why the message is urgent. That's why the factor is top tier. Do you know Jesus Christ? It's the salvation factor that divides life on this earth from heaven. When you choose that, it joins them together and you realize that though I might live 70 years, it's like a vapor because everyone faces death. Everyone dies. That's why it's urgent. Behold, 2 Corinthians 6, 2, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. In Hebrews, he says often, don't harden your heart. What does that mean? I'm going to stop listening. I'm going to stop thinking. Harden your hearts. And Hebrews warns us, all, don't harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion. Don't turn from God. So if it's not today, I hope you'll come back and you'll hear again because God will speak to you as much as you're willing to listen. So then look at verse 1 again. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews. So, verse 2, the 12 summoned the multitude of disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Look at verse 4. We will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Look at verse 7. Then the word of God spread. Factor number 2 is the unseen factor. Are you actively practicing the importance of prayer and the ministry of the word in your own life? Let me read that again. Are you actively practicing the importance of prayer and the ministry of the word in your own life? The apostles knew the importance of giving themselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. And may I say to us leaders, if that ever changes, not only are we in trouble, but we're not the church. 
As leaders in the church, we are called to give ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Not in the same sense as these apostles, but certainly in the sense of our own lives as leaders. As leaders in our homes, it's the same thing. As believers, as dads, I must be giving God, my time in that unseen factor of how is my life going to outlive me? How is my life going to impact my children for after I'm gone? It's important that the unseen factor of my relationship with God in prayer and the word is being nurtured. Now, they said that it's not desirable. So listen, it's not that they were unwilling, these apostles. I'm sure they would have said, if necessary, certainly we'll do it. And everyone who is any kind of place in the church or serving, or, there are things that need to be done at times that just need to be done. And we're not unwilling to do that. That's the heart of a servant. But their calling specifically was to labor in prayer and the ministry of the word. So essential in a church. So he's, Paul writing to Timothy, his young disciple, in 1 Timothy 5.17 said this, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So there needs to be those who are laboring in the word to bring the word of God and feed God's people. I count it a tremendous privilege. I want to share a little bit more on that. To be able to stand before you and actually bring God's word to you. I count it a tremendous privilege to do that. I also look at it as a so, it's something that's so powerful because God will speak to us through his word. It doesn't matter if it's me or a donkey, he's going to speak. He wants to speak to us. So I love that I have been given this tremendous privilege to bring the word of God to you. I also am thankful that you are hungry to hear God and to, bring, to take in his word. But the, again, the continued reminder, as you hear from me all the time, is we need in that unseen factor, the things that no one else sees, to be men and women of prayer and the word. Now, they were not above the word, and neither are any of us. They were not above the word. Listen to what Paul goes on to say in Timothy 5, the next verse. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Then he says this. Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. So no one, none of us are above God's word. Can I hear an amen? We're all accountable to God for how we're living. And if that comes to be in an elder or a pastor, whatever, hey, we're on the same ground as far as accountability to God. In fact, James says, my brethren, let not many be, become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. So to whom much is given, much is required. So I take that sometimes and go, oh my goodness, Lord, you got to help me. I want to live out what I'm talking to you about. I want to be as much uh, seeking to somehow apply these things as, as I know you do also. Their calling and the calling of those in leadership in the church is to shepherd God's people with God's heart. Is to shepherd God's people with God's heart. In Jeremiah, as he's talking to his backslidden nation, he says, return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, and I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you, who will feed you. So God had a lot of things to say to the shepherds in the Old Testament about their failing to have his heart and they were failing in shepherding his people. He said they were taking advantage of their position for selfish gain. God help us. Instead of feeding the flock, they were fleecing the flock. 
Instead of loving his flock, they were leaving his flock. Instead of gathering his flock, they were scattering his flock. And he had a lot of things to say to them. Paul, in speaking to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, said this, Therefore, take heed to yourselves. That's the first needed thing, the unseen factor. Take heed to yourself and to the flock and to all the flock among whom among which the Holy Spirit has made you over. It's a calling. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. You see, it's God's people that we're leading. It's God's people that he's appointed us to and called us to shepherd and feed and care for. Peter understood this very deeply. Peter, who was the one that denied the Lord, and God, Jesus restored him there on the on the beach of the Sea of Galilee, and he said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter had not lived up to his boast, I'll never deny you. He did exactly what Jesus knew he would do because in his heart, he needed some more work in the unseen factors. So Jesus said, do you love me? Do you love me? And he was grieved because God, Jesus said the third time, do you love me? He said, you know all things. And Jesus, the first thing he said to Peter, feed my sheep. You see, he wasn't negating Peter's call to ministry. He wasn't negating any of that. He was just saying, Peter, you've gone through some things. You've learned some things. And now what I want you to do is get back to the task of feeding and caring for my people. And so Peter writes this. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, 1 Peter 5, also partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, that's Jesus, appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Rather than taking advantage of their position for selfish gain, Peter's saying, no, take advantage of your position to help God, well, to be used by God to care for his people. What a tremendous privilege that is. What a blessing it is. And I will say, it's not possible unless God fills us with this, first of all, saves us, fills us with the Spirit, calls us, and we then obediently go and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to change my attitude and the unseen factors, Lord. Work on my attitude. Work on my motivations so that I have your heart as the chief shepherd. So he says, let us take heed of ourselves. But to all of us, he says that no shepherd... No leader or no church, however fantastic it may be, can do that for you. Parents, if you could, if we could, we would, but the deal is we can't and we shan't. <laughs> In other words, we can't do that for our children. We try and pass on something that will outlive us by doing it ourselves, but to each of us, no one can do it for us. No one in the unseen factors of prayer and the word can do it for us. So the question, are you actively practicing the importance of prayer and the ministry of the word in your own life? It must be yours. It must be mine. No one can do it for us. Listen to what, he, what the writer of Hebrews wrote. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. In other words, do it. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them, not do so with, let them do so with joy, not with grief. That would be unprofitable for you. In other words, as much as we have great leaders or people that we receive from, they can't do it for us. They want us to grow in that. They want us to grow and become more uh, loving 
loving God more and loving people more, but it's our responsibility personally for the unseen factor, what's going on in our hearts. He said, now, and we used to do this after our services for a few weeks. Hebrews 13.20, our little benediction. Now may the God of peace, here's the heart of a shepherd. May the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, here it is, make you complete in every good work. How? The unseen factor of prayer in the word. To do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in sight. How? The unseen factor of prayer in the word. He says, and I appeal to you, brethren, this is at the end of the book, Bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Now, <laughs> I like that, as any preacher would. I've, I've written to you in few words. Well, it's 13 chapters and 303 verses. He calls that few. <laughs> yeah, okay. So prayer in your own life, are you practicing its importance? We know what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in synagogues on the corners that they may be seen by men. And I tell you, they have the reward. You know, it's so empty to try and be spiritual in front of people. Wow, you're so spiritual. But listen, soak it in. That's all you get. But when you close yourself into the secret place of the Most High, what you get is a deepening relationship with God. Something that is, you can't put a number on it. So he goes on to say, what you, when you pray, go into your room and when you've shut the door, pray to your father who's in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Hi, Linnea. This is so fun. How, you were in Montana, like the last Facebook I saw. Good to see you. Did you know Linnea's here? Yeah, Okay. You didn't lose your attention here, did you? <laughs> Listen, you hear it from me all the time. I hear it in my own mind all the time. Go into the room, shut the door, and spend time with God in prayer. That's the unseen factor. That's how your life will outlive you. As far as the ministry of the word in your own life, are you actively practicing its importance? And I could give you a ton of scriptures here. I'll give you a few. Psalm 119.11, your word have I what? Hidden in my heart. That's the unseen place. That I might not sin against you. I will meditate on your precepts. That's the unseen factor. And contemplate your ways. That's the unseen factor. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Psalm 1, as you, many of you know, blesses man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. It's a progression. Blesses a man who walks not, stands not, and sits not, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That's the unseen factor. And he will be, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. What's he talking about? He's not talking about a prosperity doctrine. He's talking about prosperity in loving God and knowing God having all the counsel that we need from him personally. Escaping these paths with a sinner would have us sit down and be comfortable. 1 Timothy 4, till I come, Paul, to his young disciple, pastor disciple, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, 
Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by the laying hands of the presbytery. Meditate on these things. That's the unseen factor. Give yourself entirely to them. That's the unseen factor. That your progress may be evident to all. That's what's seen. Just like Jesus said, reward you openly, so in the word, your progress will be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. That's how our lives outlive our, live us when we give ourselves to these things. That's the unseen factor. The final factor is the spirit factor. When people see you living life, do they see Jesus? When people see you living life, do they see Jesus? And remember, book of Acts. Jesus said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit. Then you'll be my witnesses. You see, without being born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, people are not going to see Jesus in our lives. But with the Holy Spirit, Jesus is who is manifested because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. To witness to Jesus Christ. That our lives become something that people say, what's the difference here? So are you living a visible Christian witness in your God-appointed spheres of influence? God has given to all of us different places where which we can live in such a way that people see Jesus. What a fantastic privilege that is. He says, verse 3, Therefore, brethren, seek out among you seven men. Now, seven men out of thousands that had gotten saved. You see, we all have different spheres of influence. We all have different places where God's going to be taking us in order to live in such a way that people see Jesus. Seven out of thousands. Now, would you be the sought-after one? These are my further questions. Seek out from among you, would you be one of the ones that's being sought out? I'm not talking about if you want to be. I'm not talking about if you're called to be. But the question I ask myself, as I'll ask you, but simply if you even would be. Would your name be on the candidate list? Proverbs 22, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. That's what people are looking for. So of good reputation, are you trustworthy? That question is important. Listen, it's important to everyone. Are you trustworthy? Do people trust you? Jesus said, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful in much. Now, I used to, only until recently, I would think of that as degrees of faithfulness. It's not degrees. I'm convinced of this. It's not degrees. Either you are faithful or you're not. Because if you're unfaithful, you're not faithful. So if you're faithful, you'll be faithful. That's what comes with the character of faithfulness. Cornelius, the Roman centurion, as gentle, Gentile as he was, he had this. Timothy, as young as he was, he had this, a good reputation. Leaders in the church are to be proved to have this, a good reputation. Let me read from 1 Timothy again, verse, chapter 3, verse 7. Moreover, he must... Overseer must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent. Here is what it means. Reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Good testimony. But let these also first be tested, then let them be, be serve as deacons, being found blameless. The question, another question. What reputation precedes you? What reputation precedes you? 
If it's not good, then get to work and make it good. As quickly as you can, act now. Make amends. Clear up misunderstandings. Show genuine interest for people. What reputation do you want to follow you? Give it to Jesus in prayer and let him work it out for you. That's why the first factor, the salvation factor, is the beginning of a reputation that's going to outlive itself. Give him your repentance. Give him your life. Let him go to work in your life. He who began the good work in us, don't you love this passage? He who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I think we should all have signs on us front and back. God at work. I'm the unfinished product at this point. He's at work. And that will be a lifelong endeavor because how can we ever plumb the depths of God's love and majesty and glory in our lives? Saul of Tarsus had a terrible reputation in the church. And Jesus comes along and completely reversed it. Where the church hated with the church, his reputation was so terrible, and the religious people loved him, Jesus flipped that, and that's what we want. We want the Jesus flip. Can I hear an amen? We want Jesus to take the things that we bring to him and let him take them, sanctify them, and work them out for his glory and for our well-being. Henry Ford said this, you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. You can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. A reputation is what you have already done. God can change that radically. Have you been saying, I'm going to give my life to Jesus, but never have? Have you been saying, I'm going to change, but I just can't? I don't know how to do it. Give Jesus your life and get going with him. Get going to church. Get going to find help, whatever you need. Jesus is the factor that changes all of it. And I look out at you, and I know some of your testimony, I say, thank God for Jesus Christ and for getting help and seeing what he can accomplish. There's people out there that want to, that have been through a lot of you, you've been through. They want to help you, and through the, through the Holy Spirit and the salvation he offers in his word, God does radical things. Can I hear an amen? Radical, just as radical as Saul of Tarsus and what he did there. So he says, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, chapter, uh, verse 3. Wisdom, as you know, is the soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. That's wisdom. So I have knowledge, I have experience, and I've learned through them to have good judgment. That's wisdom, and it's applicable to the things that are going on in life. So look for men who have wisdom. But notice, it's the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We're talking about spiritual wisdom that comes from God. That kind of wisdom. Do people see your faith, another question, applied to the business of everyday living? Do people see your faith applied to the business of everyday living? Our hearts are in heaven, yes, but our feet need to be on the ground. Our citizenship is in heaven, but hey, we the citizens are living on earth where God wants us. And so it says in those days there was, arose this complaint against the brethren. As the, as the disciples multiplied, verse 2, or verse 1, so the problems were multiplied. 
Multiply disciples, multiply problems. More people, more problems. Can I hear an amen? You who own a business, you who run a business, you are in any kind of position of overseeing people, understand the more that you have, the more problems that come because that's just the nature of a fallen world in which we live. George Burrow used to call church life messiology because it is. In the area of Palestine, two kinds of Jews existed. Those that had been originally of the southern kingdom and those of the northern kingdom. Those from the north were known as Hellenists because they had grown up speaking Greek and coming from all parts of the world. Whereas the Hebrews were from the southern area, they spoke Aramaic, close to Hebrew, and so they would consider themselves as a little more purebred. And thus it caused tension, it caused problems. As wonderful as salvation is, it doesn't magically all of a sudden set aside all the prejudice, all the things that we've grown up with, the years that we've fed some of these things. Now, the Hebrews and Hellenists, culturally and personally, were very different. And so the reality is, in the church, they had these problems. Our diversity must never be justification for any animosity. Our diversity must never be any justification for animosity. I like what Snoopy said. I love the world. It's people I can't stand. It's easy to love the world, but what about people? You see, faith works through love. The factor is love overcomes all of these problems, all of these prejudices, all of these things that might have been in my heart. Now, apparently, the early church was continuing a Jewish custom where every Friday there was a collection made at the market and at private homes to help the poor. The collection was both money and provision. Then before sunset, before the beginning of the Sabbath, the money and supplies were distributed. If a person was completely unable to support their own, their self, they would receive 14 meals. If they were not, if they were bad off, but not completely, they were given less to meet the temporary needs. So there was this distribution going on. In the church, especially as it grows, it's easy for things to fall through the cracks. We experience that here, and we pray all the time. It's never fun to hear someone feeling like they've been neglected. And so you're going to have people feeling overlooked. You're going to have those that feel left out, neglected, those that fear are unfair, feel they've been unfairly treated. If that's happened to you here at Calvary, I pray that you'll come and talk to us about that because we want to learn from that. We want to be better at that. It's very easy to turn to complaining and murmuring. Very easy. Moses had a tremendous problem with God's people in the wilderness. They're always murmuring, always complaining. Now, murmuring is when people are complaining to each other, but not talking to the person who has the authority or the position to do something about it. That's murmuring. So when I complain to another person who may be involved with me, that's damaging. It's murmuring. What I need to do and what you need to do is go to someone who can do something about it. Go to someone who can take hold of that thing and cares enough to do that. I, I heard this story one time about the picture is, don't leave your monkey on my desk. So you come into my office and you got a problem. It's the monkey. I don't want to deal with the monkey anymore. I'm going to leave him on your desk and I'm leaving. No, let us go into these situations and say, okay, let me help find a solution. Let me help with the problem. I see it. It happened to me even, but I want to help to be a, a factor in getting that changed. Someone said, when tempted to tell your troubles to other people, Remember that half your listeners are not interested, and the rest are glad you're finally getting what's coming to you. <laughs> so it's perfect. In fact, here's another one. Daniel Webster, 
Webster Dictionary, and many other things. Wanted to give a person the impression that he remembered him, but he couldn't recall the name. How many of, that ha- how many of times that happened to you? So, he gives, to give the person the impression that he remembered them, couldn't recall his name, or where they had met before, he would ask, well, how's the old complaint? That would be the question. Nine times out of ten, it worked. The person would begin to unfold some grievance that he had discussed with Mr. Webster on a former occasion, and thereby he could identify him. I'm not suggesting we ask that question, particularly after I've just shared it. Let me read another one. One day, a family traveling down the highway between Johnstown and Jamestown stopped at Farmer Jones' place for a drink of water, which he gladly gave them. Where are you headed, he asked them. We are moving from Johnstown to Jamestown to live, they told him. Can you tell us what the people are like? Well, what kind of people did you find where you lived before? Farmer Jones asked. Oh, they were the very worst kind, the people said. They were gossipy and unkind and indifferent. We are glad to move away. Well, I'm afraid you'll find the same in Jamestown, replied Farmer Jones. The next day, another car stopped. The same conversation took place. These people were moving to Jamestown too. What kind of neighbor will we find there, they asked. Well, said Farmer Jones, What kind of neighbors did you have where you lived before? Oh, they were the very best. They were so kind and considerate that it almost broke our hearts to have to move away. Well, you will find exactly the same kind, replied Farmer Jones. And is that not true? Our attitude has everything to do with the altitude wherever we're living. So, another question. Do people hear you complaining or do they hear you listening in order to understand and help? A, past, a favorite saying I read somewhere before, there are good problems and there are bad problems. Always take the good problems. This is a good problem. Why? It's a good problem because it brought about needed change. That's a good problem. If we'll face it and seek to understand and learn from it. No change, no growth, no growth, slow death. No change, no growth, no growth, slow death. That's, I have that on my file cabinet because that, my, one of my fears is that I would grow old and die. I want to continue to ask God, help me to change. Help me to make those endeavors to change my heart, change how I'm doing things in order that I can continue to grow. And that's what God gives to us in our relationship with him. We're never going to, Paul said, not that I've already attained. We're never going to attain, but I'm telling you what, we're pressing on. Can you hear any amen? We want to, to go to the heights and depths and widths and lengths of God's love for us as believers. So are you hampering needed change or helping needed change? You see, if you're helping, that's going to outlive you. Are you part of the problem or taking part to find a solution? That's going to outlive you. Now, verse 5, the same pleased the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Here's the question, another one. Are you stepping out to serve? You see, it is not, it, it's, it's a mandatory thing as believers and a part of the body of Christ. And I want to spend a little time here before we go to communion. As Christians, every one of us is called to serve one another as Jesus serves us. As part of the body of Christ, every member is unique and vital to a healthy church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Paul writes in verse 18, but now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. God does that. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? 
But, he, but, how, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. That there should be no schism in the body, but that members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Paul to the Ephesians wrote this. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every, listen, joint supplies, according to effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It's when everyone's engaged in serving together as the body of Christ. Sometimes I think that there's too much focus on where do I fit in? Or where am I called to? Or what are my gifts and passions? My experience has been those are only discovered when I get in doing something. I get moving. I, I give myself to do something. And listen, I can tell you, as you know, there's always something to do. There's always a place that we can help. It, I, as long as I'm always available, God can begin to move me and, do, and show me what, how has he called me? How has he gifted me? And begin to find where we fit in, where we're, we're giving our share. So after today's service... We're having this serve at CCS after second service. Jesus said, if anyone serves me, which is what the motivation always is, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father, will honor. So let Jesus lead you by, by doing something to help. So on that card, where will you serve? I want to tell you this. I've said it before. I'll say it again. We are, I am very thankful for the many of you who faithfully give of your time and energies to serve the body at CCS. I tell you, we are, we're always thankful. In fact, in our, in our team chapels every Thursday, an hour and a half from 9, 30, 11 to pray and share together, we have what we call our shout outs. And we're shout, so thankful. Sometimes we're videoing them to send to people. Some maybe of you have received those. That's our way of saying we are so thankful. God is so good. I love our church family. I love what God's doing. And it's been tremendous. It would not be happening except there are many who are giving themselves. But I also want to speak the truth in love to tell you that we are prayerful for the many of you who are not doing your share. And I say that, I hope, with a smile in my heart. Because I know sometimes, as Hebrews says, bear with the word of exhortation. This is a word of exhortation to you. It's not for God's benefit. It's not for brownie points in heaven. What it is, is for your relationship with God, for your benefit, not only in the word and prayer, but in serving. It's so incredibly needed. And there are always needs and places that we can help. So, members should have the same care for one another. In other words, it's not one-sided. We're all caring. I have no need of you and you have no need of me. That's never true. I need you, you need me. So on those cards, the serve teams, as you are considering and praying as to what, you, what your share is, I want you to keep one word in mind, and that is faithful. In other words, make a realistic, sacrificial commitment to serve faithfully. So maybe you can't do but once a month in our children's ministry. And I do believe, and I want to, again, an exhortation to you parents, if you're bringing your children into our children's ministry, I hope that you're taking at least one Sunday a month to help out with the children's ministry. That's just, so, that's just so important and so absolutely life-giving to you and to those 
who are in our ministry. Jesus said, if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. Just be faithful. So be realistic, be, but be sacrificial in your commitment because there's always reasons I can't do that for this. No, there needs to be a sacrificial commitment to be faithful in being a part of what the Lord's doing here in your church. I'm assuming it's your church as, as you're considering these things. Jesus said, well done, good, and what? Faithful servant. He's looking at faithfulness. So maybe it's prayer. Tremendous place to serve the Lord. So prayer, is, is this your part to supply, cause growth, and build up the body? On the card there, there's the tech team, there's the cafe team, there's the children's ministry, middle school ministry, high school ministry, there's the connections desk, there are greeters, there are ushers, and there's a gamut of what the slots would require. I hope and pray, we hope and pray, would you pray with me on that, just that the Lord will continue to build up the body of Christ by every member doing its share. If each one of us did our part, then no one would have to do your part. If we all did our little, then no one would have to do any added lot. God would do these things in our church. So the word of God grew and spread. Disciples multiplied. Stephen is chosen. And, the, and then this, this, this synagogue of the freedmen, which would probably release Roman slaves who became Jewish, not Christian, Jewish, started their own synagogue, and now they are themselves in antagonism toward the gospel. So they start, verse 10, they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which Stephen spoke. A couple more questions, and we'll go to communion. Are you irresistible in your communication about God? See, that's going to outlive you. Are you irresistible in your communication about God? Or this, is your input enough to supply your output? I pray always, Lord, I don't want to minister from depletion. I want to minister from overflow. This gets back to the first factor, the, the second factor, the unseen factor. Notice when I go out into the world, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need to be filled and operating from overflow, the overflow of my relationship with God. So the input that I have is going to be what's going to be seen in the output, what people are seeing. So they induced, verse 11, they, they secretly induced men to lie to do these witnesses? <laughs> two more I want to give you. Two more questions. Are you contagious enough, your faith, to where people who don't even want what you have catch it? You see, antagonism is raised because they know what you have and they're antagonists, but they see something that's so real that it's contagious. So the question again, are you contagious enough to where people who don't even want what you have catch it? You know, there's a lot of flu going around. What we want to do is people to catch our faith. And see it in a real living way. So the spirit, where people see you living life, do they see Jesus? One more. Look at verse 15. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. My final question. We'll go to communion. Do people witness your life as a heavenly visitation? Do people witness your life as a heavenly visitation? No, in the midst of great trouble, as Stephen is in right now, there's a peace and presence that's out of this world. They see it. Very soon, Stephen would be seeing Jesus standing, standing. We're told he's seated. When Stephen's about to enter into heaven, Jesus stands up to welcome him. And he looks up and says, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. We'll get this in the end of the next chapter.
is see, wow, wow. They don't know what to do. He's forgiving them. You see, that's the kind of life that will outlive you. That's the kind of testimony, the kind of witness that comes through the Holy Spirit into our lives. So let's pray. Father, we are asking you to do these things, answer these questions in our hearts. How can my life outlive me? And I pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit as we take communion, that you'd search our hearts, Lord. We know that you love us and are for us as believers. We know that, Lord, you love those who are in our midst right now who have not come to you yet, but we're trusting even right now might be their day of salvation. So brothers and sisters, Lord, if you would just heads bowed, pray. If you're here today and you're not right with God and you know that, you need to give your life to Christ and be saved. You need to do that so that you'll know what happens when you die. There are three simple things I'm going to ask you to do. Number one, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand up so I can acknowledge you. Second, I'm going to just ask you to stand up because in so doing, you will put aside all of the reasons, all the excuses. You'll be obedient to God, which you know is what you need to do. And Jesus said, if you confess before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. That's the second simple step. And then the third step, I'm going to ask you just to walk up to one of the side tables. There's people there that will pray for you and lead you to Jesus Christ through prayer. They'll give you some things to take with you. So if that's you and you know you need to get right with God today, right now, I'm going to ask you just to raise up your hand because I want to acknowledge that and just keep it up for a moment so that I can. And we're praying. There's a battle going on for your soul right now. The most important decision you'll ever make will not be an easy one, but in making it, you will realize it's the only one. So we're praying. That's you today. You need to get right with God. You need to know that when you die, you'll go to heaven. There's only one door. Jesus said he's it. The gospel is God's power and salvation for you. That's you. So now we're going to go to communion. And Jesus said, as often you take the bread and drink the cup, you do proclaim his death until he comes. So as the emblems are passed out, just receive those and I'll lead this, us in communion together. While we sing this song, it's passed out, then, then we'll take them together. Yeah.